Chris Cosentino, welcome to SRAMcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's a cool name. I like that. So, Chris, when did you get hooked on cycling? You know, um, ironically, I was the last kid in my entire neighborhood to learn how to ride a bike. Literally the last kid. Um, so How old were you? <laughs> much older than everybody else. I was tormented because of it. Um, I would say I was probably around nine so you know all my all my cousins and my brother and everybody were ripping around because we lived on a dirt road uh, in rhode island and uh, everybody was ripping around on their like bmx bikes or you know banana seat bikes and i was still kicking it on training wheels because i just couldn't figure it out but i got hooked um you know i as a kid i always rode around it was a mode of transportation and then i transferred to skateboarding but then when i was in college um i had a knee accident uh, I destroyed my right knee and the doctor said you need to ride a bike every day and you need to get that was like the, the rehab for my leg so I found mountain biking you know it was the it was the closest thing to the feel of skiing at that time you know you were like whipping through these like single track trails back in New England um, moguls were rocks that you were you know rolling over trying to avoid and it had that feeling that I loved when I, um, when I was skiing. So I just kind of got hooked from there, you know? So that would, I would say be my junior year of college. So that was 89. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you're right there kind of at the beginning of, uh, mountain biking in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's interesting to me that a knee injury got you into cycling, uh, because I know you've done a lot of, uh, single speed mountain biking racing, correct? Yeah. So I raced, well, when I, um, when I lived, uh, I graduated from culinary school in 1990 and then I moved to, did I 90? Was it 90? 94, 94. I can't remember when I graduated anymore. I, I, my brain's a haze. But I moved to Washington, D.C., and I was living and working in Washington, D.C., and I got a fixed gear. Um, all the guys in the city were ripping around, um, ripping around the city on fixed gears, and I thought it was cool as hell. You know, I was like, these guys, they don't, they're everywhere. Nobody can steal their bike because most people don't know how to ride it. So I... There was this dude named Track Bike Steve, and he would drive out to Trexler Town in PA and pick up track bikes from the basement that were for sale. So I got an old Paris Sport textured paint frame. It was super cool. Fixed gear, and that was my mode of transportation. Uh, ironically, I was riding a 53-14, which was not the best gear ratio. I don't care who you are. <laughs> but I thought I was cool, so... Um, you know, riding around DC, I would do all the alley cat races. Uh, it was super, it was like a great indoctrination into such a cool city because I saw so much. And then I met um, a bunch of folks in my neighborhood and I started doing 24 hours of Canane. And we would go out as a team. I was brought in to do a team by, because somebody got hurt and I was hooked like first time. And that was the, the first year I ever went to Canane was the first year Stamstead did it solo. Okay. I remember watching John come by me, you know, like I was standing still and he was all by himself. I mean, to think the guy registered under J.R. Stamstead, John Stamstead, Robert Stamstead, and uh, what was the other one? 
I think he did Robert J. Stamstead. So like he tricked the system. He paid a full entry of four to race by himself. And, <laughs> and he, at that time he was riding for Richie and we were so enamored by him. But at that same time, Tim Parr from Swobo at the time and Mike Ferentino showed up on single speeds and did a four person single speed team. And I was blown away because they were having so much fun, right? And then, of course, there was another team there that was riding fixed gear single speeds. And those were Team Huge Ass. H-U-G-E-J-A-S-S, said quickly as Huge Ass. And they were amazing, right? And that was the year they wore one pair of shorts for a four-person team. They would switch, oh. switch the Carrera denim shorts in the pits. So I'm looking at this world of cycling and... I love it. I love what was going on. But the simplicity of riding with one gear made so much more sense to me. Um, they were having a lot more fun than everybody else. Less, a lot less mechanicals, um, a lot less issues. The only issue they had was themselves, right, when they were sore. And they were all smiling and laughing, whereas we were like, this is broken, this isn't working. And I switched. I, I switched literally like as soon as I could. I, my wife Tatiana and I, the time we were dating, we moved to San Francisco. I connected with Tim Parr and the gang at Swobo, and I started riding single speeds with them all, all the time. And it was like literally love at first sight. Like I couldn't get off the single speed. I sold everything I had, and all I wanted to do was ride single speed. That's cool. What kind of riding uh, do you typically do these days? These days, no more single speeds. <laughs> 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 I mean, my, my, I was very fortunate that I had quite a bit of great support when I was racing. Um, one of the biggest reasons I, I found that single speeding was great for me is I'm dyslexic. And every time I thought I was sh making the right shift, I screwed up. And it always threw me to the back end of the pack. No matter what happened, I would always miss shift because I was always backwards, right? Being dyslexic sucks. You know, whether it's a, a number nine or a letter P, you never know what the hell's going on, right? And, and yeah. that's what was happening when I was riding. So when I made that transition to single speed and I just pushed, you find yourself in a whole new way. You also find a new breaking point. And now, um, you know, I've, you know, I ended up having to stop race. I was, ra in total, I think I did 28 solo races on a single speed. Uh, when I was racing, um, I had great support and sponsors. Um, I did Leadville 100 in 10 hours and like 20 some minutes. This was back on a 26 inch wheel bike, not a 29er. Um, <laughs> and then I was the first single speeder to start and finish Montezuma's Revenge. And I did seven loops, which was equaling climb and descending Everest, elevation gain and descent. So for me, wow. I, I feel like I accomplished all the things I wanted to, you know. Um, I had the best time. I made some of the greatest friends in the world. But then I quit. I completely quit racing and riding to focus on my culinary career because I found out I was going to be a dad. I was slated to go to uh, slated to go to race with Steve Fassbinder. We were going to go ride the Adida bike together, and. That was right around the time when my son was going to be born. So as you can imagine, that was squashed pretty quickly. <laughs> so now, you know, you know, fast forward multiple years later, I mean, I still rode intermittently. But, um, you know, now mostly I'm riding 
the road is the easiest thing for me because I can leave my house and just ride. Um, but also gravel riding in the Bay Area is amazing because as soon as you get over the Golden Gate Bridge, there's, you know, fire roads everywhere and you can ride for days. I mean, if I wanted to, I could easily ride gravel roads from uh, Marin all the way up to Calistoga. And I've really been enjoying that. I mean, I'm, I'm back on a mountain bike. God, if they'd had one bike, one by systems back in the day, life would have been so oh, much yeah. easier. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so now, I just you know, think I'm, of how many like big chain rings I ruined back in like the triple days, like going oh, over yeah. rocks and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But now it's, you know, mostly gravel riding, uh, road riding for training. Um, you know, I sit on Oahu in this weather, of course, like everybody else does, and Zwift out with some of my friends in other parts of the world or country. Um, but, you know, mostly it's uh, fun riding, philanthropy stuff. I do Chef Cycle, uh, No Kid Hungry, which is actually in nine days. It's uh, 300 miles in three days. Uh, all We start in uh, Santa Rosa and we do uh, Three Leaf Clover out and back, uh, which I'm really excited about. So that one will be um, just a few days getting ready for that right now. So Very cool. So, you know, I think it's interesting how... You know, with your son coming and then you moving kind of more into food. Um, but, you know, these days, I mean, your son's, you know, much older now, um, but you're doing cycling and food and they're both tied together in your professional life. Um, so how have those two become intertwined for you? And what's the like philosophy behind that career direction? So, you know, when you start to look at food, food is a is something that transcends everything, right? It transcends boundaries, transcends politics, religion. Everybody needs to eat. And I think for me, the big thing was, you know, at the restaurant, it was for so many years, nobody knew me as a chef. They knew me as a bike racer. And what ended up happening was, is those people that I was bike racing against were were showing up at the restaurant and seeing me in the un- in my chef whites, you know, and a chef coat and an apron. And they're like, we've never seen you like this. We've only seen you in your superhero costume, AKA Lycra (laughs) pants. And it ended up becoming, you know, people started showing up at the restaurant and, and it ended up, it just became one big piece, you know, like the C sips. I now ride for, for Jeremy C sip, who I've known for over 20 years. And I ride for Chris King cause I've done a bunch of events with Chris King. Um, but those guys all love food, right? JC Sip, Jeremy C. Yeah. Sip. Everybody needs to eat, but they also respect the craftsmanship. And if you start to look at bikes and you look at food, there's a craftsmanship to both of them. Yeah. Right? And the industry in a whole respects craftsmanship. It also respects talent. And when you look at it, an amazing athlete, there's both craftsmanship and talent involved. Because it's not just, you know, you can't just rip and then rip every single day. It's, it's the craft of getting healthy, recovery, training, getting back out there. And I think the athletes that come in, you know, Peter Sagan comes to the restaurant every time he's in town. Uh, Chris King comes to the restaurant every time. Bob Roll's a regular. You know, I feel honored that these folks believe in what I'm putting on the plate. And we have a mutual respect for each other and 
what we do. And now as I've gotten older, I've been trying to figure, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, the, the wise old age of 47, which basically makes me, <laughs> which makes me feel like I'm 70 lately. Um, you know, I've really tried to collaborate and pull together the cycling with my career. My career is not cycling. My career and my life is cooking. And I make people happy with taste memories. But also, if you talk to most people, they remember the first time they rode their bicycle. They remember the adventures they took. And this is just another adventure that we're giving somebody, you know, whether it's a taste memory or that moment where they ride their bike for the first time. And by being able to do Campo Velo um, and attaching charities to it and build the vine trail, help build the vine trail in Napa and help putting food in front of kids in need with Chef Cycle No Kid Hungry, I feel like it's been a bigger, bigger picture for me. It's bigger brush strokes instead of short ones. You know, I'm not looking to win races. I'm not looking to be as fast as Ted King or, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming after you, Ted. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, it's like the other day I rode with Peter, you know, Stetna, and, and we just crossed paths. I was on a training ride and so was he, and we just crossed paths and, you know, I introduced myself and he's like, oh man, let's just, I'm gonna finish this loop. You wanna ride with me? I mean, I hung on for dear life, but you know, there's something to be said for that. You know, that's, that's what I love about this sport. And that's why it intersects well with food because there is respect, you know, the bike transcends all boundaries, yeah. just like food does, you know, and you know, at Campovello is such an interesting dynamic, sitting down and talking with Lauren Hall and talking with all these amazing athletes who ask questions about food. They want to know just as much about food as I want to know about their training regimen. You know, like, what do you do? Right. And they're like, hey, how do you feel about this kind of diet? And do you change your this? And, you know, I try to give them help by what they're eating and what they're thinking about. And because I'm sure they have a dietitian and a coach and everything. But I understand food a little differently than than a dietitian and a coach. I look at it as, you know, how does it rebuild? How does it, re, you know, repair muscle? How do you get back to health? And I think that's how it's naturally come together. So related to that, you have an energy bar brand called Pave. How did that come about? So Pave Bar is something that started about two years ago. Um, you know, when I first started doing Chef Cycle and I st my buddy Terry Curley was my partner with my wife Tatiana. They, I, to be really frank, I completely came unglued mentally. Okay. I, when I opened um, Coxcomb, I had a breakdown of my stomach, which then in turn created a chemical imbalance, which made my brain falter. Um, from that, my wife was constantly trying to get my friends to take me on bike rides because she knew that that would give me some peace of mind. And, and about, about when was this? This was four and a half years ago when the restaurant opened. And this was right when Chef Cycle was starting. And I, I couldn't digest food that was on the market. My body wouldn't accept it. Um, I could eat it, it would get into my gut, but then I would bloat out like really big, like puff out like a balloon. If anything, I'd, we found out I became allergic to peanuts, I, my stomach, uh, anything that's aged in oak, like wines or any alcohols. So my body completely changed. And my friends were constantly like Curtis Inglis and Jeremy Seasip and Jay Seasip and, and Chris Domino and all these guys were like, come on, let's go ride, let's go ride, let's go ride. And Terry's constantly, he's my neighbor, you know, he's like, let's go ride, we need to get you out there. And Tatiana was this catalyst to like get me to be out there on my bike. 
And every time I would go, it's like, look, you can only hold a banana so long in your pocket until it turns to mud, right? <laughs> right, yeah. And I had to figure out something that I could digest. So I started doing a lot of research on what my stomach would accept. And I ended up creating a bar. So this bar came out of a necessity for myself so that my stomach could process it. And my stomach was really damaged. Um, I had a third degree alkaline burns in my stomach as well as a hole that leaked into my abdomen. So there was fluid that would basically leak out of my stomach into my abdomen. Um, so this bar started out of, I would show up at rides and every, you know, we'd get about 20 miles in and everybody would do a stop and start snacking. And of course I'd be the guy with parchment paper unwrapping a bar. Right. And it's like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's, it's my bar, I make it. It's the only thing I can eat. And instantly, everybody that knows me, like Terry, Terry had already had them, you know? So like whenever I would show, cause I was guinea pigging him with Terry. I'm like, what do you think? He's like, he's like, I like it, dude. He's like, I think it's great. So I started just going to rides and um, riding with this bar. And people were like, hey, can I, can I have a bite? Can I taste it? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, and like, I didn't think anything of it. I ultimately thought about it is that this is great. I can ride my bike again and have what I need, right? It wasn't a situation where I was thinking about, hey, I'm gonna create the coolest new thing. And it turned into this situation where every time I would show up for a ride, there was like 15 to 20 hands out asking <laughs> for a bar. So that's where the bar, other bar flavors started coming from. So it's like, I would have one flavor and I started with seeds and then it went to nuts and then it went to sour cherry and then the last one was banana. So it ended up becoming out of necessity and what really figured it out was when on my 45th birthday, Terry, uh, my family and Terry's now wife, Roz, we all went to Europe and I rode the Paris-Roubaix the day before. And nice. that's what got us through. Literally, like, there was no situation ever on that ride where we felt like we needed to eat what was put out. We ate the bars that we brought, which I think we each had three, and it was more than enough to get us through the whole ride. And that, for me, was, I think, the moment where I said, okay, I have to do this. I really have to do this. And uh, Pave nice. was born. So we now have the fire truck that we bring to events which is a, a 1967 408 G Mercedes-Benz fire truck that has been converted with a two-phase espresso unit uh, inside from Feima, and we serve Vittoria Coffee uh, on location at events. And it gets people to kind of have a conversation and talk and ask questions about the bars. And um, so we'll be, we'll be at uh, Lost and Found, we'll be at Downeyville, and I think we're gonna be at Granduro as well. But, uh, the bars, you know, right now we're getting really close to full production. So, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting. The website's up, it's paveenergy.com. And you, the cool part about it is, is you can see the ingredients. There's nothing mm -hmm. scary in the bar. There's no added sugar, no preservatives. It is what, it, what I say it is. I have to be just as transparent with the bar as I am with my cuisine. Um, and I have been transparent my entire career and I won't change that. Yeah, and I mean, my experience with the bars is I mean, you literally can see what is in the bar because you can see the real food in there. That's the point. Like, but also the, the, the really unique thing, the way that I've thought about this from multiple different facets is, one, I have connectivity with all my producers. 
I know where the salt comes from. I know where the tea comes from. I know where the coffee comes from. I know where the chocolate comes from. I know where the dates come from, right? I know where all the dried fruit is, the nuts and the seeds. Most people can't say that. I know I have a direct connection to these individuals. And when it comes to the bars, each for performance aspect, each one has different things for different outcomes. Like the banana bar is for pre and you preload with double the amount of potassium because not a, not a lot of people know that dates have a large concentration of potassium, but then you add dried bananas in there and you're doubling up. So that's great for before the ride. And you have cocoa nibs and you have matcha tea, which is caffeine, which helps pull it into your system. So the bar is designed to break down in multiple ways. So you have simple sugar, simple carb, complex sugar, complex carb, simple protein, complex protein. So you never spike and drop. It's a spike plateau, and that's the goal. And I feel very uh, lucky to be able to do something like this and share it with people. Because if you know, if my stomach can digest it, pretty much anybody else's can. Nice. So yeah, it's a real kind of making yourself a guinea pig then uh, throughout that process. I didn't really have much of a choice. You know, it was either me or you know, and, and my buddy Terry. But I mean, if I can digest it, anybody can. That's the big thing I've learned. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of your philanthropy. So, you know, we just recently did Campo Velo, you know, which is supporting uh, No Kid Hungry. But how can people who didn't attend that event or aren't going to Chef Cycle, how can they support No Kid Hungry? So with Chef Cycle, No Kid Hungry, uh, you can go to their website and you can click on a rider. So if there's a chef that you like more than others, you know, a restaurant that you frequent, you can easily go onto their website and find that chef and you can donate to his page. So what ended up becoming originally, everybody would go out to this event, Chef Cycle, and it would be like a race, right? Every chef was trying to outdo their buddies. It's now turned into a fundraising competition instead of a bike race, which to me is more important. We're there to raise funds. And I think what's really amazing is $1 can feed 10 kids. $1 gives a child a whole grain, a whole milk, and a whole fruit. And it greets them at their table when they walk into school. And it's an equal opportunity thing. So it's put down in front of every child in the room, whether they need it or not. So there's no shame and there's no fear, right, or being embarrassed. But what we found that's been really cool is the kids that don't need it, they're actually having empathy for the kids that do need it and they put it away for them so they can take it home for their siblings. And to me, that means we're really making bigger impacts than people realize. And oh yeah, I'm not gonna cure cancer. You're not gonna cure cancer. But every time we take one out of five kids out of that mix, that's one or five kids that could possibly walk on Mars, that could possibly cure cancer, could possibly cure Parkinson's. How do we know? Let's give those kids the chance because if we don't, we're only limiting their potential. And to me, that's not okay. We're a country that has plenty of food. We should be able to feed our children every day. And, wow. and I think that's, you know, it's an easy thing. The way, I've, the way I've said it to folks is, think about you have two lattes a day or two cappuccinos a day. Have one. Take that five bucks that you would spend at Starbucks for a whole week, five times seven, 35 bucks, you fed 350 kids. Just do that once, just do it once, one week. Make the sacrifice for one week. And you're feeding a ton of kids. And this is a national program that affects everybody all around the country. 
So how many how many kids have you fed with this program? Personally or the entire program? Well, the, the, the whole program. You know, they just hit the one billion mark. Oh my gosh, wow. So that's a big deal. Think about that. So, so a billion meals? Billion meals. Wow. And every year we try to push the numbers. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to top that. I mean, it's hard to think about it, you know? Um, and it's been really interesting to see like, what turns the needle for folks? What makes people recognize that it's different? What makes people see the change? You know, and it's pretty cool when you find it. When you find that one person that all of a sudden it, it clicked, then you're just, it's amazing. And it's amazing when it happens. Well, gosh, what an amazing program. Well, thanks, thanks so much, Chris, for taking the time to talk to us today. And um, yeah, for folks who want to check out uh, No Kid Hungry, where should they go again? Uh, you can go to chefcycle.org. Uh, that's our website. And on there, you can link through, like I said, to tons. There's about 400 riders that you can pick uh, to donate. And it's an all-year thing. You know, if it doesn't go to this year's ride, it goes to next year's ride for that particular chef. You know, and I think, um, you know, support those restaurants that are there, that are giving up. Just so people realize, these chefs give up their vacation to go and do this. It's not a situation where we're paid to go. We choose to go. We give up a vacation to go out there and ride for three days, 300 miles. Whether it's raining or not, we're riding. And trust me, some of these folks, it's a whole new world. You know, there are chefs who have lost 150 pounds. There are chefs who've changed their lives by this. And it's, to me, it's, the bike's a powerful tool. It's amazing that chefs are now on bikes because running's not good for us. Let's be honest. We stand on our feet for 14 to 16 hours a day. Cycling is low impact. It's super good. It brings up your cardio. It keeps everybody out there. And it's, and it's such a joy to be able to see so many people smile. It lets you be a kid again. And there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I think that's, that's the draw of cycling. There's something powerful about that. And, and to tie that in with uh, helping kids, you know, there's, there's something powerful there and, and synergistic. Uh, so, yeah, kudos uh, on all your efforts. Thank you. Thank you guys for all your support. I can't, I mean, you know, SRAM and ZIP have been just an amazing partner, and I'm so honored to be part of that family, and I can't thank you guys enough. Well, thanks. Uh, we love working with you, too. Well, uh, thanks again for your time, and uh, we'll see you out on the road. I look forward to it.